Good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. I know we just celebrated Jesus' birth, but we're going to fast forward a little bit and look at his life. And one of the things that's always interesting about reading the Gospels is Jesus is incredibly provocative. He's always doing something that demands a response from people around him. And it's no less similar today. Jesus demands a response. You you just can't ignore him. He won't let you. He's always doing something crazy or interesting or mind-blowing. And so this morning, we're going to look at one particular man who responded well to Jesus and see what we can learn from their interaction. So again, it'll be in Mark 10, starting in verse 46. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, their words are in the bulletin. They will also be on the screen behind me. So listen as we read together uh, the, the story of blind Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46. This is God's word. And they came to Jericho. And and as he, he being Jesus here, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, followed Jesus on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? God, thank you that you gave us stories, that you came down, that you showed your character, your nature that you taught us. This morning, I ask that you would teach us again through your very word that is given to instruct us, that is given to point us to you and your salvation. Would we learn well? If there are things that I'm going to say that are my idea and not from your word, would they quickly fall away? But that which is from you, would you let it pierce deeply into our hearts? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Teach us, comfort us, encourage us, unsettle us. Give us what we need because you are good, you are strong, and you love us. We commit our time to you this morning. In the name of Christ, amen. Uh, Many of you know that we have a dog named Bodley because she frequently appears in my sermons because she always does very interesting, noteworthy things. Uh, There was one lovely afternoon uh, when Christy and I lived in St. Louis. We were driving down the road in Forest Park, which is a beautiful, very expansive park. And we're going down this street, uh, tree-lined street, uh, windows open, enjoying the day. Because we also like our dog, we let the window down so she could stick her head out the window and also enjoy the day. It's idyllic. We could have been in a Volvo commercial in our Volvo station wagon. Except the paint job wasn't too great, but you get the idea. This idyllic setting. Well, we didn't realize at the time that there was a squirrel convention going on on the road about 100 yards in front of us. We missed that fact. Bodley did not miss that fact. 
She was keenly aware of that. But Bodley failed to account for a few things. She, she didn't quite see her situation appropriately. She didn't understand that when a car is traveling at 30 or 20, by the time I hit the brakes, miles an hour, um, it's not a great time to exit. She didn't see that when her masters are screaming at the top of their lungs, Bodley, no! She should probably stop what she's doing. She failed to grasp that just running up to the hundred squirrels in the road probably wouldn't be uh, where they would exchange numbers and become best friends. I'm sure that's what she wanted. And so because Bodley f entirely failed to see her situation, she took what I would affectionately call a leap of faith out of the car and onto the pavement. Now things ended fine for Bodley. She just ended up a little scraped and bruised. She had a cut on her mouth, so when she tried to sleep that night, she slept standing up because she couldn't lie down. It was a little pathetic. She earned it. But she didn't get it. Right? She, she failed to see what was going on. She failed to see her situation. And thus she responded inappropriately to the situation and actually ended up in a lot of pain. Most of us are unlikely to jump out of the window of a moving vehicle. If you are, please come and talk to me later. We have some great counselors on staff we would love to connect you with. But we are all prone to spiritual blindness. Because sin has entered the world, we are often misdiagnosing our situation. We're often not seeing clearly who Jesus really is and his role in our lives. And because of that, we often have the wrong response to our situation and to Christ. We often don't get it. We often don't quite see what we need to. Well, thankfully, in the text today, we're going to be shown through the eyes of Bartimaeus what it looks like for someone to see clearly. And we're going to see three simple things, right? We're going to see that Bartimaeus, he sees his situation clearly. He understands exactly what his situation is. We're going to see that he understands Jesus' true identity, perhaps better than anyone around him. And then we're going to see that he sees how to respond appropriately. So those are the three things. That's where we're going to go today and look at Bartimaeus' example and then apply it a little bit to our own lives. Well, the first is that he saw his situation, right? He knew he couldn't see. There wasn't really a lot of pretending for Bartimaeus here. He knew that he couldn't save himself. He couldn't just think one day, I would like to see today, and then magically he would see again. He was sitting on the side of the road begging for his sustenance. Bartimaeus was a man who was not in denial. He had no hope of change without some outside miraculous intervention. He knew his situation. Now, his blindness was real and not a, a flaw or a moral condition because of sin, So we have to be careful when we make comparisons here, but the text in Mark really invites us to pick up the analogy of whether or not we see clearly. Because all throughout it, we see people who don't see Jesus as he really is, who don't understand, who don't respond appropriately. So while his blindness was real and physical, all of the characters had a sort of spiritual blindness, and we in humanity have a perpetual state 
where we are blinded to the reality of our situations and the reality of our hearts because of sin, because of what is broken and wrong in the world. But we often miss it. So I want you to imagine a scenario by way of example here. Uh, You may not have noticed, but there are actually basketball goals spread throughout this room because it's also a gym and we get a lot of use out of this. And usually on Sunday afternoons at about two o'clock, there's pickup basketball going on in here with a lot of young guys and some of the other of us that haven't realized we're not young yet and are hoping to get some like fringe benefit from just being in proximity to people that are athletic. So there'll be pickup basketball going on in here. And imagine you've got someone who, who goes, he jumps up for a layup, he comes down on his ankle wrong and, and you know, usually it goes like this and then all of a sudden it's like going like that. And it just, it's not good, it snaps. Well, imagine if I say, oh man, gosh, that looks painful. Hey, I've got some ibuprofen over in my bag. You'll be fine. Just run it off. I'll give you, I'll give you one of those. You'll be okay. Right? Do you think ibuprofen's going to help the fact that his ankle used to do this and it's now doing that? If it used to point this way and it's now going that? Ibuprofen is not what is needed for that guy's ankle. Right? That is completely missing the gravity of the situation and missing the gravity of the problem. And it's also not very kind to the person Uh, whose ankle is in such dire straits. And it won't actually help. But that's often what we do. We look at our lives and we're really quick to minimize the problem of what's wrong. And we're really quick to settle for minor behavior changes, right? New Year's resolutions. You know what's really wrong? I don't exercise enough. And if I were to get out there and exercise more regularly, I think that's really what would help me in life. Or, you know, I, gosh, what's wrong is I need to learn to be more patient. So if I can just start being quiet and counting to 10 when I'm upset, that's, that's going to be really what fixes things. Because we miss the problem of what's broken and turned and twisted in our hearts. We think that a quick behavior change um, is actually what we really need to just be more organized or keep a cleaner house or we have to really minimize our problems to think that what we need is so small a solution. But on the other hand, sometimes we actually do see what's wrong. We actually do see, oh, I really do have anger and I really have these things going on to the point that we can't minimize. And then we like to use my other favorite move, which is, hey, I wouldn't be such an angry person if all the people around me weren't jerks. Hey, I'd be really patient if people would stop annoying me. I would be a great driver if every person in Florida could get off of the road. And we look around and we say, you know, the problem's not here. The problem's all out there. You people. You people are what makes it hard for me to be what I need to be. And the stuff that's wrong in my heart, it's really somebody else's fault. Now, there are many other ways that we miss our condition. But those are two that I see most frequently in my own life. And I'm guessing you could share some similarities. We minimize the problem and try to just change a little tweak of behavior. Or we say, this is really somebody else's fault. Really, it's the Republicans. Really, it's the Democrats. Well, it's just my family. We find a lot of convenient scapegoats to point away from ourselves. Can you imagine if Bartimaeus did that? Right. If he's sitting on the side of the road and he said, you know what I really need is a better sign. 
I just don't think enough people have visibility to come and like donate to my cause. If I just had a better sign, I think that would fix what's wrong. You'd kind of be like, Bartimaeus, bud, your sign's really not the problem. You, you can't see. That's what's holding you back. That's what your challenge in life is. Or imagine if he was like, you know, the real problem is those Romans in their healthcare system. You know, if they just had a little better health care, this wouldn't be such a big deal. If Bartimaeus did that, he would still be blind today. But those are often the moves we make. And the reality is what's wrong in the world, it's us. We as humanity, we as mankind chose rebellion against God instead of relationship with him. And our hearts are desperately broken. They are deceptive. They are prone to turn away from him and to turn to really worthless things that we think will heal us. Sin has entered the world and it has hurt all of our hearts and all of those around us and the whole of creation. And we do no one any favors when we minimize that fact in ourselves or others. Now, you uh, might be saying this morning, well, hey, hold on. I'm a Christian, right? That's not true of me. Jesus took care of the whole sin thing. That's not a problem in my life. It's not something I have to worry about. It's not something I have to think about anymore. I would say, well, Scripture kind of gives us a fuller picture, right? We've talked about Christ came and he utterly defeated the power of sin. It will not win, but its presence is still here. Right, We see Paul stating that he's actually the chief of sinners. He understands the brokenness in his heart. He also says in Philippians, it's not like I've already been made perfect. I've not already arrived there. And in Romans 7, he talks about, hey, the thing I want to do, that's not actually what I want to do. And the thing I don't want to do, that's the thing I find myself doing. We see in Ephesians 6, there's this vision of a battle that we are called to put on the armor of God because there's a conflict. We have a war within us that Galatians 5, we talked about a few weeks ago, talks about the flesh and the spirit, that we are a new creation, and yet the old man, the old man is dying a slow death where sin still acts in our hearts. It woos us and it causes pain and destruction. Now, there's a helpful paradigm to think about here. Jeff actually shared a couple of verses that really are illuminating with this. But there's really three things that a Christian is at all times. You are a sinner, you are a love sinner, you are a forgiven sinner, you are a sinner who's given the righteousness of Christ, but you are a sinner. You are a sufferer, right? A sinner and a sufferer. You live in a broken world where things hurt. People get sick. There is death and decay. There are mean people. There are bad drivers. There are many, many things. You are a sinner, you are a sufferer, and you are a saint. You have been made holy even as Christ is perfecting you. And we make an error when we land on just one of those things being true. I'm just a sufferer. That's all it's true. No, you are a beloved child of God. And you are one who must fight the sin in your heart and your life. It matters because if we misdiagnose our situation by minimizing or blame shifting, we will always try to take a Tylenol or an ibuprofen in the world instead of calling out to God for the open heart surgery that we so desperately need. We have to see and acknowledge our own situation rightly. And I'll, I'll tell you a nice little secret. 
Fireside Chat with Dave, there are two things that really keep me from doing that. Two things that push me against looking at my own heart. One is pride. I really like to keep up the illusion that I'm a good person. I want to think that, and I really want you to think that, that I'm a good person because I do good things, not I'm a beloved child of God despite all the terrible things that I do, and he is making me new, and he is making me good because he is that good. So there's part of my pride that doesn't want to have weaknesses, that doesn't want to admit that I am self-deceptive, that I could be manipulative, that my heart could turn towards sin and darkness. I don't like to admit that. I'm a nice guy. And so my pride will often keep me from seeing my situation correctly. And the other is the fear. You may know it too of what am I going to find if I slow down and start looking inside? What am I going to find if I look at my heart and I ask questions like, why did I do that? What's, what's wrong with me? And sometimes I'm scared, like, what's going to be underneath there? What allows me to move into those scary places and to push past my pride is only when I see Jesus as he rightly is. Only when I understand his true identity. And we see that Bartimaeus really gets that. There was a commercial a few years ago that I really enjoyed uh, by the car company Audi. And the tagline was, true greatness should never go um, unrecognized. And the scene is in a restaurant, and there's a restaurant manager or the head chef, and he's just yelling at one of the servers saying, fix it or you're fired. You can tell he's venting. And Phil Jackson walks by. If you don't know who that is, I'll tell you at the end. Phil Jackson walks by and he says, you know, I've, I've often found that anger is the enemy of understanding. And the chef looks at him and says, you don't know the egos that I have to work with. And, and then Phil Jackson says, you're probably right. And he walks away. And the chef's like, okay, thank you, whoever you are. Uh, Phil Jackson has 11 NBA championships as a coach. He has two as a player. He coached the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan played there. He coached the Lakers when Kobe Bryant uh, and Shaquille O'Neal played there. So he would know nothing about egos at all. And he's standing in front of this guy. He's well known as one of the great leaders and great coaches. You forget about his recent experience with the Knicks. But... And he's standing in front of this guy. And he's like, okay, yeah, thank you. I'll figure it out on my own. Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about. This wealth of wisdom and experience is in front of him. And he just doesn't get it, right? He doesn't see it. He doesn't recognize it. And he's like, move on, crazy person. He totally misses it. That's a theme throughout the Gospels of do people see Jesus correctly? Do they see him as he really is? And so often, the God of the universe is standing in front of people and they don't get it. They don't see, they don't recognize, and they don't understand. But what Bartimaeus has going for him is that he sees quite clearly. And we see that when he calls Jesus the son of David. That's a messianic term. He understands the Messiah, God's chosen one sent to deliver his people, is walking by and is in front of him. He understands Jesus' identity as the Messiah, but he understands something else. He understands Jesus' identity as his only hope. This is the only chance he has of finding healing, of finding restoration. I guarantee you, thousands of people walked by Bartimaeus on the road, and he never cried out to any of them for healing. I'm I'm fairly confident. 
But he knew that something different was going on when God's chosen one, the Messiah himself, walked by, and he knew that this was his only hope. But it begs the question for us, how do we see Jesus on a daily basis? Are we dismissive like the chef? Like, I'll figure this out. I, I can figure this out. I can do this life thing. Or maybe we think he's the one that gets us in. Right? He's the one that forgives us our, our sins. He gets us started and then we take over, right? We take the baton. He gave us a fresh start. So now we have our New Year's resolutions and we, we make better choices and we live better lives. That's wrong, by the way. You need Jesus every day. Or maybe we think he's an interesting but maybe irrelevant teacher. And we kind of want to stick to the self-help guru books that we find a little bit more useful or interesting. Or maybe he's the add-on to our life that gives us that little extra bit of comfort or peace. Or do you see him like Bartimaeus? That he's your only hope for what's broken inside of you? For the peace that you want to have with God? For growth? For healing in a broken world? Do you see him as your only hope? As the Messiah who would actually come down from heaven, become a human live with other really messed up humans, would suffer, would die, would rise again in love because he wanted to have a relationship with you because he wasn't going to let a world live and move on in rebellion against him. Do you see him as he really is, the one who wins over sin and death and gives life and love extravagantly to the undeserving? Only Jesus and the benefit of what he did in his life, his death, his resurrection is strong enough to help and to heal what's wrong in our lives and our situation. Now, how you understand those first two points of what is wrong, what the situation is and who Jesus is will directly affect how you respond to him. Now, Bartimaeus understood how to respond appropriately, but there's a lot of responses in the gospel of Mark. There's two that actually come right before these verses. One is the rich young ruler, right? Who comes and he says, I've lived a good life. I followed all the rules. I'm a super religious person. I'm generous. What do I have to do to enter your kingdom? What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you need to sell everything you have. Give to the poor and follow me. Because I think what Jesus is saying there is what you need more is you need me. And the rich young ruler's response is, You ask too much. You ask for everything. You ask too much. Not even what I'll get from it, but you ask too much. Or then you have James and John, disciples of Jesus, who just before this passage said, hey, Jesus, we're going to ask you a question, but we want you to to agree to give us whatever we ask for before we ask it. Um, Can we be the two most important people in your kingdom? And their response to Jesus is, hey, what's in it for me? What can I, you're going to take care of us, right? We've been following you around. You're going to take care of us, right? You're going you're gonna to give a little payback here, aren't you? Or then the Pharisees and the scribes, you are a threat who needs to be put down. You are jeopardizing our control, our way of life, our power, and we have to stop you. A lot of responses to Jesus. What does Bartimaeus do? Jesus goes by and Bartimaeus screams, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And then people come around and say, hey, man, be quiet. Can't you see we're hanging out with this Jesus guy? Super cool. Can you pipe it down? So what does he do? No, son of David, have mercy on me. Probably with spit flying out of his mouth, with tears in his eyes, screaming above the crowd because there's a crowd around Jesus. Because he knows this is his only shot at healing This is his only hope in the entire world. And he will not be dismayed for crying out for help. Son of David, have mercy on me. What does Jesus do? Did you see it in the text? You might have gone by because it was really quick. He stopped. He stopped dead in his tracks. Now, if you remember, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's just said, I'm on the way to be persecuted and killed. The God of the universe on his way to his life mission stops dead in his tracks for a blind beggar. That is the heart of Jesus. If you have ever felt like a hopeless, sick messed up, blind beggar at the side of the road. Jesus stops dead in his tracks to come and bring you hope and healing every time, every time. But if you don't think you're sick, if you don't see who he is, you will never go for the undignity of crying out, help me, Lord, I have no other hope. It is an intentional irony of God that only the blind man is the one who really sees. How are you going to respond to Jesus? It is the silent question being begged of this text. Will you look away and put your hope in other things? What I really need is this. If I can just get that job, or if I can get that friend group, or if I could just get fill in the blank, then I'll be okay. Or will you close your eyes and pretend that everything's fine? I don't have needs. I'm all right. I've I've got it together. That's not true. Or will you cry out with Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a cry of salvation where you come and say, I can't fix what's broken in here. I can't fix what's broken. I can't try harder and be better to earn my way into a right relationship with a holy God. I am too messed up. Please save me. Clean me. Make me new. That is a cry Jesus will answer every time. And if that's you and you're not sure about this, Come and talk to me today. It is the most important decision and thing you will ever do in your life. If you are a believer who has been walking with Christ for as long as you can remember, the cry is pretty similar. It is to daily say, Jesus, I can't fix myself. I am prone to forgetting that. I don't want to look into what's in my heart. I don't want to bring it towards you. I don't often don't want the hope and healing, but I so need it and I can't do it myself. I need you. Have mercy on me. Just a couple practical ways that we cry out. 
right? We cry out with the ways God told us he gives us grace and want us to cry out in prayer. Lord, help me. Help me to see my need. Help me to see the extravagance of love you have already given me. To cry out by looking to his word. What are the promises? What are the things that he has told us are true about ourselves, about his love for us, about the world that is coming? We cry out in community because we need each other. This is why we, you will hear say community groups, community groups. Are you in a community group? You should be in a community group because you need a place where you can be around other believers and honestly say, I'm messed up. Please point me to the cross. Pray for me. Walk with me. Help me. Cry out in community. Cry out in the things like the Lord's Supper that he has given us and said, come you who are hungry and I will fill you. You need me. As you cry out, there's a certain posture I want to remind you of. Even uh, from the book of Hebrews, a different verse than Jeff mentioned. It's Hebrews chapter four. When you cry out, remember, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In 2018, don't settle for behavior modification. Don't settle for small moral tweaks. We all need radical, continual heart change. And the good news is that God himself has stopped for blind beggars such as us and said, I am going to do that work. You can't do it. That's the cry for help saying, I can't do it. God is saying, I am doing it. I have done it. And I will do it completely and fully. Do you see your situation as it really is? We're broken, messed up people. Do you see Jesus as he really is? A compassionate, forever loving savior who has gone and given his very life to make blind beggars beloved children. And are you willing to daily call out and say, I have no other help but you, Jesus. Give me what I need. Change my heart. In 2018, would my cry and your cry be the same as Bartimaeus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the answer Jesus gives is yes. Be healed. Please pray with me. Lord, I confess that I often don't recognize my situation. I often miss it by minimizing or blame shifting. So often I fail to see you as the generous, strong, compassionate, tender, good, loving, gift-giving Savior that you are. Would you help me and all of us today to be ah, in a heart posture that continually cries out for help to the one who loves us enough to cross eternity and to give his life? Would that be what gives us life in this coming year? 
We ask that in the name of Christ. Amen.